0: Hey Teresa. Hey Sam. What's up?
1: What you doing?
0: Um, putting on a face mask for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Ew! Ew!
1: (gasps) Oh my god, bro, that's actually so scary. I
0: I feel like that, like, scene in Silence of the Lambs where he's like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) dude, it's just like white, and then it's just your hair out (laughs) that's actually terrifying
0: this is self-care right here
1: (laughs) okay thanks sam well for today's episode we'll be talking about the album rtj4 over a cup of iced tea with lemon then we'll interview my friend yabi about her thoughts on the film you say great
0: (laughs) (laughs) great let's get started
1: Ew! You look like you don't have lips.
0: So the reason I chose this drink today is because I knew we were going to record early-ish in the morning. And it's been really hot in Chicago these last couple days. And I wanted to wake up with an early morning drink that can feel a little bit refreshing. and. For me, this drink did a really good job of that.
1: I did not have any type of iced tea, so literally like 15 minutes before this, I steeped black tea and then put it over ice and then added lemon to it. That's how you're supposed to do it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I did.
1: Okay. Well, that was so much work, but um, I also was kind of delusional this morning because I had coffee on the left and iced tea on the right. So at first, I started squeezing the lemon into my coffee, (laughs) and then the milk started like curdling, and I was like, huh? Um, (laughs) Sorry, TMI. (laughs) So (laughs) getting this drink was a struggle. I also didn't put any sugar in it. Do you put sugar in yours?
0: I feel like whenever I make iced tea, I never need sugar because it's always pretty weak. But I know whenever I get like any professionally made iced tea, it always feels like so bitter. And I can't, I don't get the people who can drink that without any sugar. Like, I ugh.
1: That's so weird, dude. I feel like I'm just not a sugar person. Also just not an iced tea person, but it's pretty good. I can see, I can see the appeal.
0: I feel like it just wakes me up. And like this this morning I needed to wake up.
1: Dude, what? Your caffeine intake is actually really bad. I mean, really good. I don't know what I'm trying no, to
0: say. I mean for me it's like the cold. Like I, I can't wake up with warm drinks as well as I can with cold ones. Cause with warm oh. ones I'm like Oh, okay, chill. <laughs> and cold ones it's like <laughs> <laughs> It's
1: just triggering.
0: <laughs> yes, it's like, okay, no more sleeping.
1: You yeah.
0: Okay, let's get into the album we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about Run the Jewels 4, which is the fourth installment in LP and Killer Mike's series of albums under the name Run the Jewels. So Teresa, can you tell us a bit about how you found the album and what this album and more the Run the Jewels project in general means to you?
1: Yeah, so I found this album. Well, I knew it was coming out for a while, but obviously they released it early because of the protests and what's happening. Yeah, I found Run the Jewels through Close Your Eyes and Count to Fuck. And at first, I don't think that I really liked Run the Jewels. I think I would always get them confused with Death Grips, (laughs) like early on in high school. No Um, way,
0: that's wild. (laughs)
1: because it was both like kind of like in the realm of chaotic music for me but obviously over the years they grew on me and now we're here what about you sam how did you not only find this album but also run the jewels
0: yeah i found run the jewels i think with run the jewels one i think it was banana clipper i heard it for the first time and i was in love from the very first line because he says i run with The something like an african elephant or something i was Mm. like bars okay bars (laughs) and then i don't think i really got into their whole like backstory and really what they meant until run the jewels two and then run the jewels three but i was definitely like banging with them from super early on i was like this is the best music i've ever heard (laughs) really yeah yeah because i was just like i feel like i especially in 2013 2014 I was in that, like, aggressive, like, mm. 14, 15-year-old, like, gonna... uh, phase. And they definitely, like, hit that. So I've always loved them. And now that I know more about the guys who are on The Jewels, LP and Killer Mike, like, they're two of my favorite people in general. And, like, I really respect their opinions on the world more broadly. So now I feel like mm. I have a bit of a different connection to them, like, now that On The Jewels 4 is out. And I think the reason why we wanted to review it, is first just because it's one of the biggest releases out right now Mm. and second because i feel like they specifically pointed they the reason they released it early is because they thought it needs to be listened to right now we thought it was important to have our thoughts on it like right now as opposed to later when it's had a bit more time to sit
1: yeah and it's actually crazy that even if they had released it at the time they intended to it still would have been very fitting for this moment and i guess that that does say a lot about the type of music they produce in that it's always been sort of protest music i think and it's like obviously they're not surprised that the killing of george floyd happened and i think that their music reflects that given that it was planned to release in this moment and then this just movement just happened to be happening right now
0: yeah i mean it's like definitely intense in the context of what's happening because in a way it feels like they wrote this album in response but really it was kind of a precursor Mm -hmm. or a prediction which is wild that they can make an album that feels like that
1: so do you have any background that you could give us on run the jewels because personally i didn't really know that much about killer mike and lp until a few months ago
0: so Killer Mike and LP before they became Run the Jewels were both super super highly respected like rappers in their own rights LP is from New York he released an album called Fantastic Damage in the late 90s and that kind of jump started his career then he went solo and had a multiple album run and his albums his solo albums if you haven't listened to them are wild it's just like walls <laughs> of noise and he's just like rapping nonstop over them and one of my favorite things about his solo albums is it's like he'll rap till the end of a bar and then like loop his voice over the start of the next one so it's oh. like there's no breaks there's just words words words, words. <laughs> and it's intense if you read his lyric sheets they're like books He released music in the underground in New York till like 2012. And then Killer Mike is from Atlanta. He was kind of in the underground in Atlanta, also a bit mainstream. And he just was known for releasing kind of hardcore, like straight hip-hop, just rapping his ass off over beats. So they linked up in 2013 for Run The Jewels 1. And the impact was pretty immediate their sounds really just meshed together and they'd already linked up a bit before that and LP had produced some Killing Mike's records but I think after Run the Jewels 1 they became really really good friends. Run the Jewels 2 and 3 have just been like 2, 3 and 4 I guess now have really showed their friendship and showed that I don't think that this series is Ever going to end as long as they stay friends because it seems like they really, really enjoy making music together. And I think you can kind of hear that on the mic. The one other thing that's worth mentioning is that the sound of their albums changes pretty drastically on each release. Mm-hmm. Like Run the Jewels 1, I think, I don't know if you could speak to it, Teresa, but I think it sounded like a bit primitive. It was like very simple and it was just them both doing their thing. Run the Jewels 2 was just like. Banger after banger. That's the one that kind of got them famous. I saw them at Lollapalooza after that one. Right, right. Yeah, they were everywhere. And then Run the Jewels 3. I blue album. Personally don't like. But that's like when they became, I think, more in the political spotlight. Mm. And Mike started speaking out a lot. And it has great songs. It just to me feels like a bit too polished. And then we're gonna talk about the Sound of Four actually coming up with Teresa's friend, Yabi.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I feel like when I think about Run the Jewels, I usually just think about RTJ2 and not really RTJ3. But also, I think that what you said was correct earlier, just about how you loved the people, because I think that that's such an important element to their music, the individuals themselves, and I guess how they work together. Because I read that they were introduced by the Adult Swim executive, Jason DeMarco, in 2012, which is actually so late. Both of them already fully had careers, and then they met. And I read that they – originally, I think, when they went on tour, it would be like LP would do a set, and then Killer Mike would do a set, and then they would come together to do Run the Jewels. And then that's when they realized, like after they performed in that together set, that that energy – was the most hype. I don't think they even realized how well they meshed together before that moment. Wouldn't that be crazy to meet someone that late in your career who totally like meshes with your music and just you start a completely new thing?
0: And like they haven't released any solo records since the first run The Jewels came That's out. That's so like, cute. That's <laughs> this actually is just adorable. like what they do now.
1: <laughs> Wait, but I heard that they had a break after like RTJ3. They were like burnt out or something.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they had a break, but they were never like broken up. It was never like they're not going to make albums anymore. But also, if you look at the first three Run the Jewels, 2013, 2014, 2016, that's such a little time to crank out three albums. So like, yeah, I think they just needed a break to just show.
1: I think that it just shows how, I guess, like an artist's brand is so important in the sense that I feel like you never question their moral values i feel like they've been very adamant about their political statements and what they support and also i just love the consistency and not only the names of their albums but also the symbol with the gun and the fist, which mm-hmm. is like so iconic. There are like so many pictures of people gripping that like after important moments in their lives, like after someone gave birth and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's just crazy. If
0: you're in spaces where people know about Run the Jewels, they're a symbol and Killer Mike has become, I'd say like lately a controversial, always kind of a controversial symbol. But somebody who's like super outspoken and has views, which I think deserve the attention they're getting. I think his stance on guns is super interesting. I think. Wait, he what did a he say views. about guns? He just believes that every Black American should own a gun. I
1: yeah. did not know that he thought that interesting. I know that, um, and we'll talk about this later when Yabi comes on. But his speech in Atlanta about george floyd and the protests that received very good attention because he was so emotional obviously and i think it received attention from not only run the jewels fans but also people in general and also i think that he made a really good point about how he wishes the protests were more organized and that's the important thing in his eyes I've seen a lot of people share that video and I've like responded being like, yes, killer Mike. And they're like, yeah, that Mike dude. (laughs) I'm like, okay, (laughs) we're on different pages.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the one other thing I'd say before we bring on Yabi, if you haven't seen his TV show called trigger warning, it's on Netflix. I, at first thought it was just going to be like corny celebrity kind of being preachy. And in some ways it is, but he also just, is very much does activism in his own way and the way he addresses like a bunch of stuff on the show trigger warning i think is awesome so if you're looking for a show to binge right now that's a quick easy short show that you get to like kind of interact with killer mike in listen to what his political message is
1: i haven't watched trigger warning so i'll have to get on that but why don't we call on yabi because i know she has hella thoughts on this album (laughs) but before we call her on we're just gonna say a few words about her wow every time i say that it sounds like someone's dead (laughs) Um, (laughs) yabi i got close with this year because i met her over the summer and Her knowledge on music and culture in general is actually just insane. Like You could name pretty much any artist and she would know exactly who you're talking about, the background, how they fit in with the music scene, and yeah, her general pop culture knowledge is incredible. I've never seen anyone with that much passion for pop culture and I really respect her for that. Yeah, it's just really fun talking to her and hanging out with her in general.
0: Yeah, I've only met Yami once and she was actually dressed as a mime. (laughs) I think because it was Halloween. I don't really remember why. (laughs) Yeah, we
1: went out. That's why you don't remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now like my image of her in my head is like a mime oh. so i'm excited to like see her <laughs> so i can have a new image <laughs> but she was really sweet and like i could tell immediately just there was just a power like oozing out of her <laughs> so i'm excited to get to talk to her and i'm sure it she'll sounds great like you shots. were drunk
1: that's what this description sounds like
0: <laughs> i was drunk but <laughs> <laughs> Thank all you, right Sam. let's bring her on
1: yeah hey hello hello Hi, Yabi. How are you? Looks so professional. This? this is the first time I put on clothes. Yeah, I'm wearing my fancy pajamas.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: Thank you for coming on to this podcast, taking your lunch break. We know you're very busy with your internship research. Both. Can you introduce yourself to the audience? Hi,
2: I'm Yabi. I'm... A rising senior at Penn, majoring in political and moral philosophy and minoring in urban education.
1: Let's get it. Changing the world out here. Can you tell us what drink you brought on the show today?
2: Iced matcha with almond milk. Matcha is really expensive, so it's not looking very green.
1: Bro, that's why you got to get it from the Asian markets. They sell it for cheap there. Don't get matcha from Whole Foods. You're playing yourself. <laughs> yeah, you are playing. I knew it. I knew it. So why almond milk? I hate almond milk is why I'm asking. Because
2: Costco doesn't sell oat milk in bulk.
1: <laughs> it sounds Bro. like we're so bougie.
0: <laughs> I can't do oat milk, man. What? Really? Oat really? milk nice ruins my life.
2: How? <laughs> I, don't how to, it.
0: I don't know how to explain it. It's just like it makes me feel truly awful but oats like I'm fine with so no idea
1: okay Sam I just can't take anything seriously (laughs) that you're Uh... saying
0: right now I'm exfoliating it's important (laughs) what do you guys think this album represents in the broader societal context today and what does it mean for the culture as we see it playing out today
2: When this album came out, a lot of people assumed that they might have re-recorded certain aspects to fit what's going on right now. I think that just speaks to how present police brutality has been for a long time. The fact that this album was recorded months ago, and yet the themes are what's most relevant right now. There are multiple points when Mike mentions, I can't breathe. And you would think that that's like a direct reference to George Floyd, but it's not. It's just a reference to what a lot of Black people have been experiencing for decades now. I think it's really cool that that Mike and LP are older rappers. They're in their 40s. And so you can hear their experience. And what I love about Run the Jewels is that like usually when I'm listening to hip hop, I'm looking to relate to the rapper. But when I'm listening to Run the Jewels, because they're older, I'm not really looking to relate to them. Instead, I'm just like looking to learn. And, and so that's where I sort of think where they fit in for people younger like us. They're sort of like mentors or like father figures to us because they have a lot to, to teach and they've experienced a lot.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think their views aren't as widely held by most young people, but I think that a lot of people still respect what they have to say, which I think is super rare for rappers their age. Like if you've been on Twitter, it seems like every other day, like LL Cool J is getting canceled or some older rapper is (laughs) coming out with a statement that makes absolutely no sense and is like, you're clearly out of step. And I think it's incredible that Killer Mike and LP can still have extreme consistency in their views and still be respected by the culture as a whole, even though they are older rappers who have had a lot more experience and a lot more time to settle into their views.
1: Yabi, going back to what you said before about how them releasing the album feels very much in the present moment, even though it was unintentional, I know that you shared the video of Killer Mike's speech in Atlanta regarding what's happening right now. And I just wanted to ask like, what are your views on Killer Mike as like an activist and I guess as just a personality beyond music?
2: Yeah, so I've been into Run The Jewels since like, I think 2014. And so I knew that Mike was supporting Bernie Sanders back in 2016. And so that's when I started paying attention to Mike's personal life a little more. And during that time, Mike got into a bit of trouble for making a controversial statements about gun control because Mike uh, does not really advocate for strong gun control. And so that sort yeah. of seemed like it was detracting from his like liberalness. So I don't agree with Mike on everything. But when it comes to racial politics, I really, really, really admire him. And I have seen him speak on like multiple radio shows and events. And I think he's a really smart guy. And I really love the way he respects multiple points of views. Because sometimes you can just get a little bit too dogmatic about what you believe. I sort of teared up uh, during his speech in Atlanta about a week ago, addressing the riots. Because while I am definitely in support of protesting, there there is a part of me that sort of is frustrated at those people who don't live in communities and are sort of being opportunists about the moment and sort of not really focusing on what the issues are and so I was glad that I wasn't the only one and that I had someone speaking for me like Mike.
0: I'm a bit surprised that we haven't seen this album have more impact it seems like it is impacted like very specific circles but I wonder if there's any chance that songs off of this album or the album as a whole can be kind of a soundtrack to the protest or things that are going on around us because I remember back in 2016 with when the protests were going on it was largely Kendrick Lamar's All Right in the whole to Pimp a Butterfly album that was being used to fuel those protests and being used as protest music and it seems like Killer Mike and LP directly wrote protest music on this album. And I would be interested to see if it ends up getting used by protesters at all.
2: I think if there's a track that comes close to that, it's probably Just, which features um, Pharrell and Zach De La Rota from Rage Against the Machine. However, I still don't think that's mainstream enough to catch on with the mainstream crowd.
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I just, I hope. I hope. <laughs> I'd love Run the Jewels to get some like mainstream spotlight for this album because I feel like the one that they got the spotlight for was Run the Jewels too. And that doesn't go into issues anywhere close to as much as they go into them here.
1: Yeah. Yabi, in referral to the track Just, there is a line Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Do you think it is also Run the Jewels sound, I guess, that makes it seem more? like protest music, as opposed to simply their lyrics?
2: Oh yeah, we should focus on their sound a little more because LP's not only a rapper, he's also producing all of RTJ's stuff. So that's part of his contribution. And he has a really like distinct sound. It's very in-your-face, bombastic, loud. Almost every single Run the Jewels song is a bop. They don't really take it slow ever. I think the closest you get to slow track on here is Goonies versus E.T., I think that's the worst track on the album. It doesn't really suit them, have this like sort of vibey style. So I think keeping the tempo up is like the right move. And I think it sort of underlines what they're saying a little better, having like a louder instrumental, very like drum driven. Although sometimes I wonder if that's sort of a weakness of Run the Jewels, that they don't really play with multiple sounds. Other rappers usually use multiple producers. And so you can like, You can hear that, whereas Run the Jewels mainly sticks to one. So
0: yeah, I totally agree with that. But also, I think it's impressive that, like, if I heard a song from Run the Jewels one, I would know it was from one versus two versus three. Like, I think while their albums all sound very like homogenous, LP is really good at mixing up his sound between albums and changing exactly what he's doing. Because I think if you heard a song from each project, you could tell that they were from different projects.
2: I will say though, there are like two samples on here that I could like pick out. One of which was on Ooh La La. There's like a Gangstar sample, that piano line. And Ooh La La is, even though it was was, like, I think the lead single on this album, it's also one of my least favorites. I'd say Goonies versus ET and Ooh La La are my least favorites. Ooh La La I didn't like because I thought that the chorus was weak the repeating piano line is getting a bit boring throughout and then the other sample it's a, a gang of four sample uh, the ground below so there's like this guitar riff repeating throughout and all that it, it made me want to do is just listen to the original song ether by a gang of four i just i just did not like that song either the guitar mix was just weird and um I did like the way that the drum beat on the sample got a little louder at the end. I thought that brought the song to new heights, but aside from that, do you really like that song so much? But those are like the three weakest songs, don't get me wrong. The rest of the album's pretty damn strong and I still love the album.
1: Damn, that ooh la la was a hot take cause I, agree. I, that was definitely one of my favorite songs. The video made me warm up to the song a little more to be honest. But... The what? Music
2: video, Mm. you know, how sometimes you watch a music video and you like the song a little more, yeah.
1: Yeah, I just thought that, um, especially with this project, I think my initial impression running through the whole thing was that I think that it. It meshed together more cleanly than a lot of their other albums. And especially I think it started off super strong with Yankee and the Brave when they start with Back at It Like a Crack Addict,
0: like yes. right
1: <laughs> off the album. I thought that was the funniest start to the album and got me excited for the rest of the tracks. What are your thoughts, Sam, on I guess your least favorite or favorite tracks?
0: Yeah, for me, yeah, I agree. I love Ooh La, La. It's just hits. I think while La, La might have been the first single, I think they released Yankee and the Brave before that. They just didn't publicize it as much. And I remember hearing Yankee and the Brave and just being like, yeah, this album is gonna be hard. <laughs> Cause it's like every song on here, it's it just has that like driving beat. But for me, my least favorite would this is definitely gonna be a hot take but probably A Few Words for the Firing Squad. To me, that was just like too long. It also felt like Run the Jewels 3. I felt like on Run the Jewels 3, the reason why I didn't like it is because I felt like I was being lectured a lot. And A Few Words for the Firing Squad, again, felt like a super polished lecture. And it was like, not really yeah. my vibe. And I think they do that same lecturing style a lot better on tracks like Walking in the <laughs> Snow. They just need to keep their song lengths down because I think the best songs they have are when they, like, come in, they hit you, they say what they need to say, and they, like, dip out.
2: By the way, I will agree with you, Sam, that I could tell that they were trying to be really epic. Like this is going to be their big statement to end off the album and that's why they like go into this long instrumental that then segues into this like weird countryish talking towards yeah. the end. So yeah, that was a little off, I will admit.
1: Okay, we're going to play a small sample of this song. I woke up early once again, it's
0: four days straight, I didn't wake you baby, I just watched you lay, in the radiation of the city sun, I am
2: in
1: love with you, it is my
2: only grace. Woo! You know how everything can seem a little out of place, all of my life has seemed to be the only normal state, being a normal never really made me feel same. being clear about the truth.
1: Okay, listening to that again, I personally really like this song. <laughs> yeah, the story is epic. It's, the so- the start. Okay, I had no idea, though, that it was so long.
2: Think the about song. listening to the song outside of the context of the album. It's not the kind of song that you just want to listen to, like, out of the blue on its own. Like, it would make no sense to sit through that ending. It's like watching the end of the movie, like, without any context, so...
0: No,
1: I I agree with that. I think that the only song that I've listened to outside the context of this album is Ooh La La. Like the rest of it, I've just listened to the album over and over again as a whole.
0: Yeah, and to me, my least favorite songs on Run the Jewels 3 were like Thursday in the Danger Room. Like the longer ones that were super polished, this just threw me back to that. I don't know when they recorded this song, but to me it didn't sound as at home in the context of Run the Jewels 4.
1: What was your... Number one song on this album, either of you? I feel
2: like most people are going to walk away saying that Just is their favorite song. However, I think like my personal favorite is Holy Calamifuck. And it has my favorite line on this album Until you rob a hype beast, you ain't seen sadness. It makes a Clockwork Orange reference, which is my favorite movie of all time. And so I just really love that line. Two of my favorite things hating on hype beasts and a Clockwork Orange.
1: Yo, that was so specific. What is the Clockwork Orange reference? I think it was like, until
2: you rob a hype piece, you mean scene sadness, clock orange, madness, whatever.
0: I really think that whole section of the album just like rides. I felt like the whole time I was like up and it just felt like it hit in like, I feel like typical LP beats just like kind of knock you on your ass. And with Holy Kill I'm Fuck, it, it felt like a deeper hitting. I don't know if that makes sense, but. It felt like it <laughs> took a little while before it really warmed up.
1: So we're just going to play a little bit of Holy Fuck right now.
2: All them, Something I wish they would do more of is like more interplay between the two rappers. Because like on a song like Out of Sight where they do do that, where they're like switching lines instead of taking turns on verses, each taking a line on a verse. I really love that because it really highlights how much chemistry they have. So I wish they would do that a little more.
0: It's funny because that's what I loved about Ooh La La is that they really went back and forth. I feel like they highlight the best in each other when they're going back and forth.
2: Another one of my favorite lines comes on out of sight when 2 Chainz says, I buy a hot dog stand if I'm trying to be frank.
0: Yeah, this sounds exactly like 2 Chainz. Like, I miss 2 Chainz so much.
2: Like, this ain't a 2 Chainz beat, but that's 2 Chainz for sure. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Another one of my favorites on the album, definitely my favorite song on the album, is Walking in the Snow just because of their exploration of kind of the topic of oppression. But I feel like they don't speak about oppression as blatantly as they do on some of the other songs on the album. But especially the line, funny thing about a cage is that it's never built for one group really hit me. And how Mike is talking about how you can't really isolate one group's oppression and systems of oppression are built to contain whatever group the oppressor needs to be oppressed. And I thought the way that Mike talks about issues like this, I think can sometimes be even better in his rapping than in his like speeches and the other activism work that he does.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think the lyrics on this track in particular is so scary accurate in terms of speaking about what's happening in the moment, even though they didn't mean to release it during this time. Especially, I think the line, the most you give is a Twitter rant and call it a tragedy, but truly the travesty you've been robbed of, your empathy. And I think that that's what I've seen, at least a lot of what social media has been used for recently. I think that that speaks to a lot of what people call activism nowadays. Like, oh, I'm going to be angry for a day on my social media and then, you know, forget about it.
2: Yeah, for sure. And also shout out to Gangsta Boo, who is on like the hook of the song. I'm pretty sure she wrote that hook and yet she's not credited on the on the track listing, which is like beyond me. Um, She's Uh also on on Run the Jewels, too.
0: I love that they shouted her out for coming back. what do they say like
2: maybe they i think they wanted it to be a surprise maybe that's why that's why she's not on the track listing maybe and also you mentioned a twitter reference on walking in the snow twitter's also referenced on my least favorite track goonies versus et but it does have one of my favorite lines mike says now i understand that woke folk be playing ain't no revolution that's televised and digitized you've been hypnotized and twitterized by silly guys cues to the evening news, make sure you ill advise. I love that line. Also, because it references one of my favorite songs of all time by uh, Gil Scott-Heron. So, called The Revolution will
0: not be televised, by the way, if you want to check it out.
1: Sam, aren't you a big Gil Scott-Heron fan?
0: Yeah, he's one of my favorite artists. I play him on my radio show all the time. <laughs> he's like the best 2 a.m. educating people music.
1: A very, very specific genre.
0: <laughs> no, because like after 2 a.m. is when I play all the shit where it's like, we'll piss people off. Because if I play it at 12 p.m., then people will actually call the FCC. So. <laughs> I know that Yabi brought up some
1: questions that you wanted to ask. Why do you think Run the Jewels doesn't have the same level of popularity in the mainstream as a Kendrick or J. Cole, who also displays conscious themes in their music?
0: I think part of it is the oldness factor. I think Kendrick Lamar sounds young. His music is evolving with the times. The one thing about Run the Jewels that I think takes away from them a bit is LP has great production he's an amazing producer and he his sound definitely evolves but it still sounds very like boom bap it sounds like they're like early 2000s late 90s which I think holds them back a little bit from mainstream success also I think they're a lot more they're a lot more radical than J. Cole at least Kendrick Lamar it seems a bit unclear how radical he is. It kind of depends on his audience, I feel like. But I think the fact that Killer Mike is this radical figure who has political beliefs that a lot of people would disagree with and that you can't read onto. Like, I feel like a lot of Kendrick Lamar, you can say that he's supporting your political beliefs no matter what they are, as long as they're like liberal ish. Whereas Killer Mike, I feel like he has his beliefs, and if you disagree, it's fuck you.
2: There's one song that we haven't mentioned on the track listing yet, and that one's Pulling the Pin. And that song features Mavis Staples. It also features Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age fame, which, by the way, Queens of the Stone Age is one of my favorite bands. So I was really excited to see that he was featured, although it's not really vocals that are his main contribution. It's guitar. And I wish that the guitar was a little louder in the mix, but that's all right. But I think Mavis Staples' contribution to that track is one of the highlights of the entire album. I love that they chose to have an older singer on the track because you can definitely hear the age in her voice and you can hear the pain and you can hear years and years and decades of struggle. And so I really love that. I sort of see a lot of similarities between Mavis Staples and Run the Jewels because Mavis is still going strong and almost into her eighties now. And she's been a civil rights activist throughout her entire career. And she's still maintained relevancy because of her sort of focusing on civil rights issues through many decades. And I think I look to someone like her who doesn't really have much mainstream appeal, is not really that much of a household name. And I can sort of see why it is that Run the Jewels doesn't have as much fame as other rappers do. And I think that really just comes down to age and not being afraid to to show that you're older. Because I think there are like a lot of rappers that once they get older, they still hit on the same themes that they did as when they were younger, sort of like just trying to maintain their youth. That usually comes out really cringy and it's unsuccessful. And you see a lot of like younger rappers now saying that they understand that they're not going to be a hit a certain age. And they always talk about like, trying to retire early. I know that like Lil Wayne has been threatening that his next album is his last album for a long time now. I think that there is still hope that they will make it big eventually because I don't think they've peaked quite
1: yet. I think that also it's their age that makes them have such a cultish following because I think also there's a lot of assumptions that it's just like young people who are activists, you know, like people our age. And that's, I guess, what also discredits a lot of activism because it's like, oh, they're just young and radical and stuff. And I think it's so powerful that they're not young and they've been saying this shit for years. And also I think it's, so great how a lot of times you know we have conversations about like separating the art versus the artist especially when they're low-key problematic outside of their art but I think with Run the Jewels what is so strong about them is that it is impossible to separate the art from the artist with them and that's also what makes their music so strong is because they practice what they preach all the time.
0: Yeah and I think even if Run the Jewels doesn't leave some legacy as one of the greatest rap groups of all time part of what i love about run the jewels is that it solidified their solo careers as being incredible because lp is my one in my top 10 rappers of all time as a solo artist and seeing people go back and visit his solo work because of run the jewels and also having that being solidified as canon in terms of like Run The Jewels' work. I love that LP's work is getting shine. I was never that big a fan of Killer Mike before Run The Jewels, but I know that he was super influential in Atlanta, and I'm happy that that work is getting shine as well. So even if Run The Jewels doesn't leave a legacy, I love that it solidified the legacies of both artists as solo rappers.
2: Yeah, I agree with you Sam. Killer Mike sort of started off his career a bit weak, let's be honest. Um, He had some features on Outkast albums that really stood out. However, the production on his solo work before LP started working with him was pretty weak. And I think while Killer Mike was always a strong rapper, I think production was holding him back from reaching a wider audience. And then on rap music, I think back in... the early 2010s, LP produced that album, although it was a Killer Mike solo album. And that's when Killer Mike finally found some like mainstream success. And then finally, we got Run the Jewels in like 2012, I think, um, with their debut album. And I think it's like, it's really cool to see how they lift each other up, how like they make each other better working in unison. And so I think that's why instead of focusing on their solo careers at this point I think they have an understanding that working as a duo is what the future is for them because I don't think either of them are really wanting to work on solo work
0: at this point. Is Run the Jewel still working for you guys? Is this something that you will keep coming back and revisiting every album or do you think they need to switch something up?
2: I feel like hip hop is getting more and more experimental. I think back when Run The Jewels first came out, they had a really unique sound. You hadn't heard anything like them. And then at this point, it's like, I think what they have to say is more interesting than their sound. Cause we've heard more aggressive sounding, more experimental hip hop, more artsy hip hop. And so if Run The Jewels is to maintain their relevance, I think it's just gonna have to do with mainly like lyrics and how inventive they are. I know that as you age, it's a, it's a bit harder to be creative in the lyrical sense. Like you feel like you're running out of topics to speak on. And I sort of, I trust LP with the production side of things cause he's super consistent. And so I think it's really just come down to lyrical themes.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting comment because I think that there's this expectation that I guess artists have to evolve in a certain way like with sound especially. And I just don't think that's a really fair expectation because personally, I don't think an artist is weaker because they don't diversify. I mean, I think that artists should should evolve in one way or another through time, but I don't think that because their sound isn't super different from when they first started, it's necessarily a negative thing for their brand
0: that's I feel kind of the opposite way. Like I definitely don't think an artist should do anything that they don't want to do. But for me as a listener, I definitely get fatigue. I have a really hard time with artists in general who put out albums that sound very, very samey, which is a lot of the reason I like don't like artists like J. Cole, like people like that, because I feel like
1: Yeah, but we hate J. Cole for multiple other reasons. No.
0: But what I'm saying is like I like I J. Cole. I hate J. Cole, too. Uh, yeah, J. Cole is trash. But that's... What was my point? <laughs> like, a lot of the reason I think he's trash is because he releases the same album over and over. Like, I really liked Born Sinner. Like, that shit hit when I was, like, 13. But then he released Born Sinner, like, 30 more times. And now it's just, like, not hitting the same way. But for me, if that evolution doesn't happen, I just lose interest in, to be, like, honest objectively i like a lot of things i like most things about this album but i'm not returning to in the like run the jewels one that was like on rotation 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 two same thing three i started being like okay i like know this sound i listened to it a couple times i like was like it's cool and then i haven't i haven't really listened to it since like i haven't gone back to it and then four I like this better than run the jewels three, but I don't know that I'm going to go back to it, especially because I already have those memories attached to one and two. And this to me feels like a not quite as good version of one and two, even though they are saying different things. And I think they're like more interesting statements as full works.
2: I think it really comes down to like when you discovered run the jewels and through which album, because I discovered them through run the jewels two, And that today is my favorite Run the Jewels album. I think to most people, that's the best Run the Jewels album. Although I've, I can see this one growing to the point where it's equal to Run the Jewels 2. I think Run the Jewels 1 is their weakest. And maybe it's because I listened to Run the Jewels 1 after like listening to their best album. So maybe that's what sort of did it for me. And I think Run the Jewels 3 is either their worst or equal to Run the Jewels 1. So I for sure think that Run the Jewels 4 is an improvement on Run the Jewels 3 for sure. I think the reason why Run the Jewels 2 really stuck with me and is sort of like a nostalgic album for me is because at the time in high school, I was going through this like militant atheist phase and I loved hip hop, but I didn't really hear anything questioning religion or the existence of God on a hip hop album before. And then I remember like on Angel Dust, Killer Mike said some sort of line about like making fun of Christian folk for um, using God as their mentor or something like that. It was just like some sort of hit at organized religion that was just really cathartic for me. I love that line. And I think those themes continue on this album. So I really love that, that there, are <laughs> that there are Black people that exist that aren't religious. I love that. Not all Black people think the same,
1: you know. That's so funny. <laughs> I, I didn't even notice that. And I also love how we all agree that RTJ2 is the best, RTJ3 sucks, and J. Cole sucks. Do not trust a man if he has a J. Cole poster in his room.
0: Just don't. I feel like you can trust them too much. Like, they're just boring as fuck. Oh, Sorry. like they're too <laughs> loyal. <laughs> they're for sure
2: simp. Men with J. Cole posters are for sure simps. <laughs> or they like, light skins
1: that are going to, like, talking and doing something. You, do. you heard it here first, y'all. <laughs> if you ever get sent by a man, don't be surprised. Anyways, overall, I think that this is a great album for their brand recognition.
2: Also, speaking of brand recognition, I think it's really clever that every single album of theirs has, like, that same, like, logo thing. Yeah, love it. That's going to maintain their relevance for sure. At least they have, like, a certain thing that you can identify them by. Although... I really hate like for continuation's sake, I hate how Run the Jewels four is RTJ four instead of Run the Jewels four, like everything else is like run the jewels two, <laughs> run the jewels three. Yeah, 4, I don't 3,
0: really 5. get
2: it. Yeah, like why RTJ?
0: <laughs> but I hope they get to ten. I hope they call it quits a ten. They're like <laughs> They're like iPhones. Oh, dude, Seventy years old. <laughs> They're like, All right.
1: Thank you so much, Yabi, for coming on. So knowledgeable about music in general
0: we appreciate having you here
1: bye bye i'll talk to you later thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of two virgins we hope you enjoyed getting to know yabi and we hope that you take the time to check out rtj4 this episode can be found on quarantinecontent.com as well as in our weekly newsletter the queue see you next week